You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on my book, Sustainable Frontiers, Unlocking Change Through Business, Leadership and Innovation. Unlocking Change Through Social Responsibility The Rise and Fall of CSR Perhaps a more direct way to unlock change on the path to a more sustainable frontier is through corporate social responsibility, CSR. Or is it? Those who have read my previous books, notably The Age of Responsibility and CSR 2.0, will already be familiar with the basic arguments I'm going to outline, although you may find the additional practical steps for application to be useful. For others, I will outline in the coming episodes how CSR has changed over time, the challenges it currently faces, and what it would mean to make it a truly transformative practice. To begin, we must acknowledge that CSR is nothing new. The concept can be traced at least as far back as the mid to late 1800s. Industrialists such as John H. Patterson of National Cash Register seeded the industrial welfare movement, while philanthropists such as John D. Rockefeller set a precedent that is echoed today in the work of business titans such as Bill Gates. CSR entered the popular lexicon in the 1950s with R. Bowen's landmark book, Social Responsibilities of the Businessman. The concept was strengthened in the 1960s with uh, Rachel Carson's critique of the chemicals industry in Silent Spring that helped to give birth to the environmental movement. CSR gained momentum in the consumer arena with Ralph Nader's triumph over General Motors and its unsafe automotive manufacturing processes. By the 1990s, CSR was being institutionalized through standards such as ISO 14001 for environmental management systems and SA 8000 for labor rights, as well as guidelines such as the Global Reporting Initiative and corporate governance codes like Cadbury and King. During the 21st century, an even greater plethora of CSR codes, guidelines and standards have been spawned. There are more than 100 listed in my book, the A to Z of corporate social responsibility. Despite the steady march of progress, however, I believe CSR has broadly failed. We are in fact witnessing the decline of CSR, which will continue until its natural death, unless it is reborn and rejuvenated. While CSR has had a positive impact on both communities and the environment, Its success should be judged within the context of the total impact of business on society and the planet. From this perspective, CSR has failed on virtually every measure of social, ecological and ethical performance we have available. A few facts will suffice to make the point. Our global ecological footprint has more than tripled since 1961, WWF's Living Planet Index shows more than half of the species are in decline since 1970, and 60% of the world's ecosystems have been degraded, according to the Millennium Ecosystem Assessment. We do not fare much better on social issues, 
According to the UNDP, one billion people in the world live on less than a dollar a day. Another 2.7 billion struggle to survive on less than two dollars a day. More than 2.6 billion people, over 40% of the world's population, do not have basic sanitation. And more than one billion people still use unsafe sources of drinking water. There is little good news to report on the ethical issues either. According to the Global Corruption Barometer across 107 countries, 27% have paid a bribe when accessing public services and institutions in the past year. Add to this the litany of corporate scandals over the last few decades, starting with Enron's collapse in fraudulent disgrace in 2001, despite Fortune magazine having voted it one of the best companies to work for in America. What can we conclude other than, Houston, we have a problem? The ages and stages of CSR. I have found it useful to view the evolution of business responsibility in terms of five overlapping periods. The ages of greed, philanthropy, marketing, management and responsibility. Each of which typically manifests a different stage of CSR, namely defensive, charitable, promotional, strategic and transformative CSR. My contention is that companies tend to move through these ages and stages, although they may have activities in several ages and stages at once, and that we should be encouraging business to make the transition to transformative CSR in the dawning age of responsibility. If companies remain stuck in any of the first four stages, I don't believe we will turn the tide on the environmental, social and ethical crises that we face. Simply put, CSR will continue to fail. Let me introduce the ages and stages of CSR here briefly. Defensive CSR in the age of greed exists when all corporate sustainability and responsibility practices, which are typically limited, are undertaken only if and when it can be shown that shareholder value will be protected as a result. Hence, employee volunteer programs, which show evidence of improved staff motivation, commitment and productivity, are not uncommon, nor are targeted expenditures, for example on pollution controls, which are seen to fend off regulation or avoid fines and penalties. Charitable CSR in the age of philanthropy is where a company supports various social and environmental causes through donations and sponsorships, typically administered through a foundation, trust or chairman's fund, and aimed at empowering community groups or civil society organisations. We often hear companies saying their CSR is about giving back to society, which is a clue that they are still practicing charitable CSR. Promotional CSR in the age of marketing is what happens when corporate sustainability and responsibility is seen mainly as a public relations opportunity to enhance the brand, image and reputation of the company. Promotional CSR may draw on the practices of charitable and strategic CSR and then turn them into PR spin, which is often characterized as greenwash. Strategic CSR, emerging from the age of management, means relating CSR activities to the company's core business, like Coca-Cola's focus on water management. 
often through the adherence to codes and practices of management systems, which typically involve cycles of CSR policy development, goal and target setting, program implementation, auditing and reporting. Transformative CSR, or CSR 2.0, in the age of responsibility, focuses its activities on identifying and tackling the root causes of our present unsustainability and irresponsibility, typically through innovating business models, revolutionizing their processes, products and services, and lobbying for progressive national and international policies. Hence, while strategic CSR is focused at the micro level, supporting social or environmental issues that happen to align with its strategy, but without necessarily changing that strategy, transformative CSR focuses on understanding the interconnections of the macro level system, society and ecosystems, and changing its strategy to optimize the outcomes for this larger human and ecological system. The triple failures of CSR. Why then have the first four stages of CSR failed so spectacularly to address the very issues they claim to be most concerned about? This comes down to three factors, which I call the triple failures of modern CSR. Failure 1. Incremental CSR. One of the great revolutions of the 1970s was Total Quality Management, TQM, conceived by American statistician W. Edwards Deming, perfected by the Japanese and exported around the world as ISO 9001. At the very core of Deming's TQM model and the ISO standard is continual improvement a principle that has now become ubiquitous in all management system approaches to performance. The most popular environmental management standard, ISO 14001, is also built on the same principle. There is nothing wrong with continuous improvement per se. On the contrary, it has brought safety and reliability to the very products and services that we associate with modern quality of life. But when we use it as the primary approach to tackling our social, environmental and ethical challenges, it fails on two critical counts, speed and scale. The incremental approach to CSR, while replete with evidence of microscale gradual improvements, has completely and utterly failed to make any impact on the massive sustainability crises that we face, many of which are getting worse at a pace that far outstrips any futile CSR-led attempts at amelioration. Failure 2. Peripheral CSR Ask any manager what their greatest frustration is and they will tell you, lack of top management commitment. This is coded language for saying that CSR is, at best, a peripheral function in most companies. There may be a CSR manager, a CSR department even, a CSR report and a public commitment to any number of CSR codes and standards. 
But these do little to mask the underlying truth that shareholder-driven capitalism is rampant and its obsession with short-term financial measures of progress is contradictory in almost every way to the long-term stakeholder approach needed for high-impact CSR. The reason Lehman Brothers collapsed, and indeed the reason that our current financial crisis spiralled out of control, was not rogue executives or creative accounting practices, but rather a culture of greed embedded in the DNA of the company and the financial markets. It is difficult to find many substantive examples in which the financial markets consistently reward responsible behaviour. Failure 3 uneconomic CSR. If there was ever a monotonously repetitive stuck record in CSR debates, it is the need for the so-called business case for CSR. CSR managers and consultants, even the occasional saintly CEO, are desperate for compelling evidence that doing good is good for business. In other words, that CSR pays. Indeed, the lack of sympathetic research is no impediment for these desperados endlessly encanting the motto of the business case as if it were an entirely self-evident fact. The more inconvenient truth is that CSR sometimes pays in specific circumstances, but more often does not. There is low-hanging fruit like eco-efficiencies around waste and energy, but these only go so far. The hardcore CSR changes that are needed to reverse the misery of poverty and the sixth mass extinction of species require strategic change and massive investment. These may be lucrative in the long term, economically rational over a generation or two, but we have already established that the financial markets don't work like that, at least not yet. CSR 1.0 and burying the past. So CSR must be seen for what it is, an outdated, outmoded artefact that was once useful, whose time has passed. If we admit the failure of CSR, we may find ourselves on the cusp of a revolution, like the one that transformed the internet from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0. The emergence of social media networks, user-generated content and open-source approaches are a fitting metaphor for the changes CSR must undergo to refine its contribution and make a serious impact on the social, environmental and ethical challenges that the world faces. For example, just as the internet of Web 1.0 moved from a passive audience content consumption approach to a collaborative mode of Google-Facebook-type interaction, CSR 1.0 is starting to move beyond the outmoded approach of CSR as philanthropy or public relations, widely criticised as greenwash, to a more interactive, stakeholder-driven model. Web 1.0 was dominated by standardized hardware and software, while Web 2.0 encourages co-creation and diversity. So too in CSR, where we are beginning to realize the limitations of the generic CSR codes and standards that have proliferated in the past 10 years. If this is where we have come from, where do we need to go to? 
Let's talk more in detail about this revolution that will, if successful, change the way we talk about and practice CSR and ultimately the way we do business. There are five principles that make up the DNA of CSR 2.0. They are creativity, scalability, responsiveness, locality and circularity.